This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 221. Before we get into this podcast, I have two webinar offers for you now. The first one is from our friends at the Senior and Geriatric Dog Veterinary Society. We all know that VetMed is advancing and pets are living longer, resulting in more of our patients being senior and geriatric dogs. These dogs have unique needs and require a different approach than the younger pets. So the Senior and Geriatric Dog Veterinary Society, which was founded by three women, two general practitioners and an internal medicine specialist, is focusing on enhancing and optimizing our care for this very special patient population. So they have CE coming out in May, focused solely on senior and geriatric canine medicine. And we all need to learn this, right? Learn about this fabulous CE from my friends at SeniorDogVets.com and use the code VETLIFECOACH50 for a $50 discount. That's www.SeniorDogVets.com and use the code VETLIFECOACH50 for $50 off. The second offering that I have is from 360 Coverage Pros and they're hosting a free webinar for those of us looking or wanting to learn more about veterinary liability insurance. We all must have good insurance to protect our license. So if you want to learn the basics or compare your current policy, this webinar is for you. It will be Friday, June 2nd at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. It looks like it's just going to be an hour of your time, and it's the first in their series of free liability insurance information. So if you're looking to compare insurance or you're working relief work or you just want to understand how to protect your license better, sign up for their free webinar. You can find it at 360coveragepros.com or search any of their social media sites and you will find the link. Okay, so after those wonderful announcements, let's get into this podcast. Hey friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today I have a wonderful guest for you. His name is Tyler Horsley and he is the founder and CEO of NuclearNetworking.com. He's also an investor, a business growth advisor, speaker, and philanthropist. And he told me before we started recording that he really loves pizza. So I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me, Tyler. It's really great yeah. to meet you and have you on the on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited yeah. to be here. I'm excited to hear your story and, and hear what you do, because it sounds really interesting. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about what you do, your life story, wherever you want to start? I love to hear about people. So just kind of sure. tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I do like pizza. And I think <laughs> uh, I'm a huge fan of people just like people need to spice up their intros a little better. You know what I mean? Like humanize. You're right. Yeah. Like we should. That's what we should lead with. Right. Yeah, Hi, exactly. Julie, and I love pizza. <laughs> I love pizza. Hi, Julie. <laughs> so, yeah, so I uh, I started my first career in federal law enforcement, worked for Department of Homeland Security, the IRS, not super fun, and um, uh, military contracting uh, in the more along the lines of intelligence space and kind of naturally, as odd as it seems, progressed into what I'm doing now, which is business growth uh, marketing. And so the difference, by the way, just for everybody listening out there, everybody's heard of Oh, there's tons of acronyms in our space, SEO, SEM, you know, PPC, all these things. Business growth is from A to Z, um, conceptualizing everything from your area of practice, your core differentiators, who the audiences you're serving, uh, what, you know, core trip wires and more or downloadables, what value you can offer your community, even the M&A space, as we kind of talked about before the show, you know, how to buy and sell practices, everything from A to Z on, on the, the CRM and sales automation space as well. So this is kind of, you know, I, I started a company, Nuclear Networking, uh, which you had mentioned, and uh, built that and actually sold that um, in 2022. And so I'm currently one of the partners at a private equity firm out of Denver here, uh, focused quite a bit on real estate and marketing and otherwise, but the the me, not what I do, 
um, is, you know, a uh, wife and a kiddo on the way. And I love building uh, companies. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it sounds really generic, but I love building companies. And it's not just marketing. It's culture. Um, it's process. It's uh, methodology. And like looking at these uh, patterns, if you will, are almost like a recipe for do you have all these boxes checked? And if so, you're likely to succeed in the market. And so these are the things I love to do. And and you know what started is a completely different industry. Now, um, you know, been certainly using the marketing chops to grow companies as well. But looking at these things, this business holistically, especially in a space uh, like clinics and, and practices where we're serving customers and and more, um, that's really been an area of focus for me. And yes. It, yeah. So I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, okay. So explain to me a little bit about what a private equity company does. Because, sure. you know, we're not in that financial world as much as veterinarians other than our small businesses. Yeah. So tell me how that all works, just out of curiosity. Yeah, no worries. And, and what I'd also preface is it's good to have general knowledge around private equity. So hopefully I can provide value in this episode because you might be acquired by private equity someday. That's um, happening, right? In the veterinary world, for sure. Yeah. That's a big thing right now for us. It is. Yep. And, and it's actually happening in a lot of other, basically people are doing what's called roll-ups. And so instead of like individual mom and pops, somebody will create. So um, as an example, like a private equity is essentially a fund and we, and it's a fund that's not public, right? So it's not publicly traded. You can't invest in it. It's typically a group of individuals or, um, you know, organizations that pool their money together and they, buy or restructure or build uh, companies, right? And, and sometimes they buy financially smaller companies, um, but overall what, what private equity does in this space uh, that I've seen that, that would be a little bit more practical is they'll actually go find reasonably or high performing local, you know, veterinary clinics. And they'll actually, you know, offer that founder um, sometimes it can be different, uh, different items, right? The, so obviously monetary, you know, Hey, we would like to buy your company and, and here's for how much, but what they're really offering them is like back of office support, freedom. <laughs> like we'd like, we'd love yeah, you to stay. When you're the owner, there's not a lot of freedom. No, not at all. Like the, you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. And, and that's kind of what I did, frankly, with nuclear networking prior to even selling to a private equity group myself. So it's like, if I had the entire financial backing to to hire help and be more of an advisory role and sit on the board and, and still have partial ownership in this practice or benefit from the practice's growth, but I don't have to do it all. And if we don't do well financially, like, you know, you're you're not carrying all of that weight. Um, so so they're basically funding and, and management partners and they can come in and, and essentially kind of help willing founders do that. Now, obviously, the benefit for them is that recipe I talked about, they have it, right? It's like do A, B, and C, analyze the entire organization, analyze what's called search volume analysis, which is a local competitor deconstruct and how many people are actually looking for a vet in their local area. And then how many vets actually exist as competitors? And then how many of those are actually doing marketing well? Who do we really need to compete against? Because you're, you're essentially hiring pro professional business investors and growth advisors to come in and really help you take this to the next level. And so another way of thinking about it is, it's like, well, I own 100% of something small right now, or I could own 20% of something 20 times bigger. And so different methodologies and maybe have a better, better life balance, et cetera. And, and they might integrate EOS or traction, different ways to kind of think about how to run meetings, organize, even digitizing back of house, helping you move to the cloud, getting rid of file cabinets, like just, I'm using every example I can come up with, hiring, HR, all those things that you're like, well, I don't really need that. It's like me and three other people. It's like, well, if you're four times bigger, you will. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so that's kind of, it's kind of maybe one of the more uh, practical applications for private equity. Our private equity group does not do roll-ups in, in, in this space. Um, but, but as I mentioned to you before the show as well, we do support through marketing tons of conglomerates and PEs who do this. So when they come work with a founder who's a rock star, who's a great brand, but just kind of needs some help or is burning out, um, 
it's like we come in right behind them and basically insert proven marketing to to triple their their company size. Yeah. So so I hear from a lot of veterinarians that they're a little bit afraid of this thing that's that's yeah. coming in vet med, you know, and it's already here. Like there's so many companies and then there's the private equities and there's all of this, you know, kind of opportunity as sometimes I see it for vet med right. to do better, but also yeah. they're afraid. So you already kind of answered some of the questions of why we should want this happening, but yeah. tell me if there's, um, there's a reason that we could think about this as being good for vet med and why we want these things happening that are happening right now. Sure. So from, from someone I, so I built and sold four companies to date and, and one of those was to private equity, right? So what I would say is whether you're fundraising, you're raising capital or taking on loans or considering selling, always be incredibly cautious and strategic about who you take money from. So okay. there's truth to that, right? Yeah. Just call it what it is, because there is there are private equity groups out there. And I look, it's we're dealing with people, right? Different people have different motivations. It's not as as ruthless as sometimes the venture capital world could be. But, you know, if they come in and, you know, there is an opportunity where it's like, hey, maybe we don't need your help anymore. Thanks. Here's your money. You know, so like certainly and obviously do due diligence beforehand. If you're having those conversations involve uh, a broker attorney um, or an M&A attorney, just to kind of look at things from all angles and make sure you're covered, you're getting cash up front. That's an entire deal flow conversation. So just I, I just want to make sure I'm on record stating like definitely, you know, make sure you you know who the, the track record. I would be asking them, oh great. So you do roll-ups in the the vet space. Can I talk to the last five people that you've rolled up? And and preferably somebody who's been with you the longest, and then a couple who have been with you the shortest period of time and do interviews and look, if they really believe in what they're doing and they have a good experience, they will offer that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely meet all these people, join this team. And what you should expect to hear is they have saved my butt. There was a little bit of friction, obviously, because maybe some people that were working for me, I didn't know they weren't working. They found that out. So we had to actually rotate some people out. We did that in a kind way. We took care of people, right people, right seat. Because at the end of the day, even though we're friendly and we're founders and and we love our people and our culture, protecting your culture for your high performers is just as important because if somebody's at your office right now not working and they're getting paid the same as somebody who works their butt off for you, people are going to notice it's going to kind of kill the motivation. And so sometimes having those extra set of eyes is really helpful. It's also a little bit of a bummer. And I went through this last year, but it's like, they're going to show you stuff you didn't know exists. I'm like, oh, dang it. I had no idea that <laughs> wasn't going to open your eyes. <laughs> totally. Totally. So like, if you are really look, and another thing I would say is 99% of the time you as a founder you're there. That's who they're investing in. They don't want you to leave. They want to incentivize you to stay. They want to get you pumped. It's a partnership, right? They're not running veterinary, like veterinarian clinics. They're here to fund and support you. And so it's certainly not anything to be afraid of. Um, but obviously, you know, you want to certainly do due diligence. What I would say is this is where the world is going. It's going this way because the mom and pop shops which I I ran on my own in a different industry. It's like, I can only grow so big. And frankly, I don't have experience growing something over a hundred million dollars. Not yet. I I can do, I can invest in funds that are over a hundred million, but like personally, without anyone else's help growing something from nothing to a hundred million, I don't have that experience. And maybe some listeners out there don't either. Private equity can get you there. Another thing worth saying, I heard this in economics class back way back in the college days, the worst thing a company can do is sell their product to Walmart or in Walmart. The second worst thing a company can do is not sell their product in Walmart. So <laughs> yeah, kind of- well, and it makes sense, right? Because it um, it's just such a small volume when it's a mom and pop. It is. Yeah. And so there, there is fear there. But what I would say is like, if you, if you do get approached, really take it seriously. And, and even if it's scary, you know, um, act excited and then go do due diligence behind the scenes with an attorney and make sure, because what's going to happen is if you say no, they're going to go buy your three other competitors down the street. And and now you have a fully funded, fully capitalized multi hundred million dollar 
fund marketing competitors. And, and that's back to that Walmart economics warning. So it's kind of like, well, it is coming. They're doing this in dental. They're doing this in med spa. They're doing this in, in vet clinic. They're doing this in optometry. Um, right now, they're just roll, roll, roll. I even know one, one that's doing local furniture stores. Mom wow. and pop, they're just buying all of them and then rebranding them. And look, the consumer wins too, because typically price can come down. It doesn't mean that margins go down because now you're sharing a back of house finance, AR, AP, payroll, like you're not paying and doing the stuff yourself on your off hours. You get to do what you do really well and only what you do. And so there's benefits to all this stuff. So it it is spooky. It's interesting. But I would recommend for any listener to these types of podcasts, just like yours, Julie, <laughs> like listen to these and, and seek out more information about what is a roll up and what does it mean to sell to private equity? Because the more you can be educated, education cures anxiety, right? Right, so. right. So talk to me a little bit about if you have a business or even if you work in a business and you're not the owner, what can you do to get that business healthier as it is to either eventually sell it to someone, either another individual or a corporation or um, just make more money? Like, are, are there tips for that that you could offer? I mean, I, I'm imagining that's what yeah. you do with your business. You grew it and then sold it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there is a book out there called Built to Sell. I'd recommend reading the book, not listening to the audio book. For those who have listened to it, you know, I, it's a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different, but um, it's a good concept and it's, and it's digestible. It's not, you know, incredibly sophisticated, but the premise is, do you have designated processes documented for someone else to take over your company tomorrow, should you want to quit. And so what that looks like is even down to the basics, I should be able to come into your organization and you can hand me a booklet and it's, here's how to run my company. It doesn't mean here's how to perform surgery and here, no, 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 not at all. It's here's when somebody comes to the front counter or calls and they need to set an appointment, here's how to set an appointment. Here's how we collect billing. Here's how we, you know, fulfill. Here's how we follow up on billing. If somebody is, you know, defaults, here's, here's the customer service process. We like to call back twice, see how their visit went, maybe send them a card, you know, all those things, like the simplest things that are all in your head. You want to make sure that those are on paper for anyone. Not even, they may not even do it that way, but, but they know exactly how it runs. And, and the ultimate thing is if somebody can see how it runs, they feel more comfortable investing or buying because there's no hidden secrets behind the veil of like, oh, shoot, you know, if Tyler's not there, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Well, and is- the, that would even that would even help you as the owner of the company have more balance in your life or more integration where you could just be like, oh, I'm on vacation, but they all, they all know how it's supposed to be run. So right. even as the owner, having that kind of, you know, directive, I think would be um, a really good piece of advice is like let the business know how to run itself without you. That's right. Yep. And that's, that's one of the bigger, um, one of the bigger pieces uh, acquirers look for. Now, what that doesn't mean is that you need to have that solved right this second. But what it does mean is if you, another book called Traction or EOS, what they encourage you to do is build what's called an accountability chart. And so the best way to conceptualize this is think seats, not people, meaning we need uh, an office manager, we need uh, a secretary, we need a scheduler, we need an accounting, we need this, 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 like literally just write it on paper. Now you might be sitting in like 12 of those seats right now as a, as a business owner, and that's okay. Right. But, but act like funding's not an issue. How many people actually need, what, what functions are needed and know, you know, the person uh, scheduling should not be the same person doing the actual work with clients should not be the same person running accounting. Like think, think fractionally, some of these things can be outsourced as well. So that's what I would do because even if you don't have yourself replaced, nor might you need to be, it's important to show that you've done the thinking so they can see, wow, actually we already have a private equity group. So we can take care of this billing seat. We can take care of that HRC. We can automate the scheduling seat. We can, you know, and, and it looks like we need to hire for this and this, and that's all we need. And now 
Tyler or Julie can have time off and not work 80 hours a week, maybe. (laughs) So like those are the things we're thinking about that makes a company sellable right out of the gate because it's packaged and thought about. Um, It's not just in a founder's head. Separately from that, they're going to base your value on your revenue. And so there's ways to grow revenue. There's two ways. I'm sorry. They're going to base your value on your margin. So you could be doing 50 million a year. And if you only profit 10 bucks, like your company's not worth that much. You can't right? spend it all, right? Totally. <laughs> you make it and keep some of it. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I do for some of my companies is like, what, what could I automate really? And with providing an equal or better experience to my clients. So with sales automation tools, one of my favorite tools is Go High Level. It's dirt cheap. I can take in requests online for people to set appointments it automatically texts them and emails them and reminds them of an appointment. And I can program that to send them a newsletter once a a month. Like anything's really possible there. So now I've automated some of these roles to lower cost, which is also a great way to improve margin. And then of course the obvious is working with a trusted marketing company before you're thinking about selling, or if you think you're gonna be approached by a private equity group to show growth. And what I would really focus on is not just, hey, let's grow everything and sell anything under the sun. I would focus on like what requires the least amount of work and makes the most amount of money. Because <laughs> really, we just need to show growth. And if that's selling products, if that's selling checkups, if that's selling, maybe it is uh, bigger surgeries or maybe it's anything and everything in between, right? Think about that. And then what, what we do as an example is we create one specific funnel in one area only target people with pets and just blow it out the roof. And we do that with quality loss leaders. So things to think about is if I lined you up with five other clinics and you only had 10 seconds to tell 30,000 people why you're better, what would you say? And if it's Mm, like an elevator pitch, huh? Totally. And, and, And it can't be, we're really nice. We're family owned. We've been here in business for 30 years. I will, I promise you, and while those things are good to an acquirer, that private equity group is going to love that stuff. Your customers, especially the younger they get glued to their phones, they don't, they don't, they've not been raised to think about that in the shopping criteria. I almost wanted to say they don't care, to be honest, but it's like, well, they probably don't on some level, right? I mean, they care about their pet, but they just want, they just want the best for their pet. Exactly. Not necessarily that you've been in business for 30 years. Yes. So how do we speak to that? We love your pet more than you do. <laughs> We're going to give them a free checkup. This value is worth 1200 bucks or whatever it is. It doesn't matter, but like, come visit us. We're going to love them so much. Give them snacks. They always have water dishes here. We'll pet them until you come back. We'll make them feel loved. We have all these great memory foam dog beds from sit stay, you know, whatever it is like, that's what they care about. And you happen to show up first. So they found that out first. And the offer is value, not just, hey, come pay us like you can pay everyone else, but hey, with every purchase or with every onboarding, we send your dog home with a great gift and a lovely this, that, or the other, a chew toy that they're going to love for at least the next 45 minutes until they rip it to pieces. So <laughs> something like that, something different, speak to their pain point. And so we help people solve that and answer that question. And once we know that answer, then we build out landing pages and go gangbusters and do lookalike audience targeting and dry everybody in from dog groups on Facebook and Instagram to people at local parks, geofence those people when they're at a park, they see you popping up. Hey, are you enjoying Wash Park in Denver? Stop by. We're doing free assessments this week. We'd love to meet your best friend. You know, that yeah. kind of thinking drives sales up. And then by the time you go to sell, not only will you be obviously benefiting from the additional revenue short-term, but like when you go to sell, they can see that you own a growing practice and and that's going to put you above all the other people down the street that are just kind of relying on referrals. And well, we have an office and that's been good enough for the last 20 years. Like they're looking for innovation, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, I'm, I'm thinking about this as, you know, let's say somebody with a practice that is not corporately owned, that is trying to build it up. So someday, you know, they want to retire and sell it or whatever. Is it a practical thing to do for someone with a small practice? Let's say they bring in 500,000 a year or something quite small. 
And is it practical for them to hire marketers to do all the things you're talking about? Because like a lot of the things you're saying, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have the first idea how to market like that. And so, you know, how does somebody with a small business take advantage of these kind of things without yep. breaking their bank? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally. That's a strange so, question, but I'm thinking, oh, if oh. I if I had just bought my practice three years ago and you were telling right. me on this, I'd be like, oh, hell no, I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> uh, right. So that's a good thing to address, like right out of the gate, like money, investment, we know, we all know that we need it. We do, whether we want to hear that or not, whether the practice was inherited, purchased or created, you know that if we don't show up online, we will eventually fall behind like that. That's unfortunately or fortunately the way that yeah, the world it's a reality is. in today's world, right? You have yeah. to have a, a decent online present. presence. It is. And, and that was a reality, frankly, like even 10 years ago, but now it's getting even more competitive because you have AI, you have natural language processing, chat GTP, the latest chat GTP four at the time of this release, just hired a human in the real world to pass CAPTCHA. Think about that. A robot, which I also find funny, like select the street lights. I, I say I'm not a robot. I'm like, how, how are we solving? The robot's doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, like, how are we passing the bar exam, but a robot can't use image-based AI to look at a street light and actually pass its own CAPTCHA? That's hilarious to me. Right. This robot did it is it hired a human on like an Upwork.com type of a website, paid it to pass CAPTCHA. And when the human said, are you a robot? It lied and said that it has visual impairment. That's terrifying. That so, is terrifying. So knowing that that exists, we have to wake up to like, unless you're going to sell your company quickly, if you're, if you plan on being in business for a certain period of time, and this is not fear, this is just real. We have to acknowledge that maybe we should consider evolving to the times or at least putting some money into these things. So back to price, because I know that that's big. So one, do would I recommend, and this this stuff is a lot cheaper than you might think, and I'll, I'll tell you prices. I have no idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it sounds so cool that sometimes people are like, oh man, I can't afford this. So a couple of alternatives. You could do it yourself. Terrible idea, you know that, I know that. Like that's, that is not my highest and best use for what I need to make. I already work a lot of hours. I wanna spend time with family or doing what I like to do. The last thing I need to do is also become a marketing expert run an entire company, manage people, and then also try to balance being, that's like three jobs. And so that's not good. So what we do want to do in our highest and best use is, is hire someone who knows that. So we have a couple options. You can hire an agency or you can hire a person internally. And what I would tell you, just running an agency, most individuals going rate for professionals in the space, not entry, not medium, but professionals, just for an SEO, 75K to 100K plus a year. Just for a paid ads professional, same price. And, and, and now you have doers that are really good at their one single thing, but you kind of need a lot of those things. You need somebody to make landing pages and somebody to do SEO so you show up and somebody to run paid advertising. Is that three people? Hope Maybe you might get one, but I can promise you and myself included, they're not going to be good at all of those things. And so it's like, okay, well, that's like five to six grand a month. That's pretty steep. That's one employee only. And so then you go back to agency world. When you work with agencies who specialize in your space or have worked, and I'm not saying they're, you know, vetmarketing.com, because what I could also tell you about our industry is people work on a niche and then they create another website called plumbermarketing.com, roofingmarketing.com. And then the consumer's like, oh, they know my business because they're roofingmarketing.com. It's right. probably a marketing company who owns that website, by the way. And, and yeah, they've cracked the niche, but for the conglomerate that we work with, where we do vet roll-ups, it's like, it's under two grand a month. And, and that includes production, landing pages, offer generation, an entire CRM, which most clinics don't even have a CRM yet, nor do they- Tell me what it. all these letters stand for. Oh, sorry. You're throwing alphabet soup at me. I'm like- Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so, so yeah, so basically um, starting from the beginning, we basically- for that price, we we help people define that answer to the question. Why are you better than everyone else? And how are we going to speak to their animals and their family and people they love and not just talk about ourselves? 
but like really make it look like we care about them. We do. And maybe even offer free value. So we help them with that first. Then we create campaigns around that on Google, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, everywhere dog and cat and animal lovers in general are. And then we write all of the ad copy and marketing copy around that because we have to, just like a billboard, it has to look like something and say something and grab someone's attention, but better than a billboard because as an eight-year-old is on his mom's iPad looking up at your billboard, you kind of just paid for that. That's an impression. That's what they sell. That's not a good use of money and it's not highly targeted. It, it, it can help some companies. I don't want to bash billboards, but like with paid advertising, we can only show your digital billboard to people with animals who love animals and live in your area. And my, so it's like a better use of capital, right? Right. So we do all of that and guide the owner through. We do all of the work, but we get their write-offs. Make sure we're not like, hey, everything's free. Come call us and schedule an appointment. So we do all those things. We do SEO, which is search engine optimization, which is a fancy term for ensuring we are compliant within Google's guidelines and showing that we are better than every one of the other alternatives for search for people who are searching online by checking all these boxes that is SEO. And we do that in a multitude of ways, um, which is a lengthier conversation, but, but basically earning Google's trust. By doing that, we show up first. Renting premium real estate, which is paid advertising or ads or PPC, some people call that, or SEM. There's all these, right? It's too many acronyms. Search engine marketing, super click. It's all the same. It's digital marketing. It's it's renting premium real estate, those top spots on Facebook, Google, or otherwise, and then promoting an objective-driven campaign. And what that means is if a five-year-old or your grandmother can't understand what to do, we're doing it wrong. It can't just be, hey, we're a local vet. Come see us if you need something. It's got to be like this week. We're Press doing this button and go here. Yes. Click here to get a whatever this, 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 and that. And here's why you need it. Objective driven. So it's like, great. So we, we do all that as well. And then on the back end, uh, a CRM is a platform that basically houses your customer data. So what that looks like is every single person who comes through those front doors, it's customer relationship management, CRM. We need to be collecting their name, their email, and some notes. And, and then when they come back, just like a doctor's office or anywhere else, oh, hey, Tyler, yeah, yeah, you were here last year. Did you bring in your German Shepherd? How is she doing? Like this, that, and the other. How are your kids? Now I know your birthday and it's creepy, but I do because you're in our CRM. <laughs> but there's more of a relational retention piece there. And um, so CRM is crucial. Problems with CRMs are it takes someone to manage them. It takes someone to set them up. If you go with a company like Salesforce and you're a, a couple people, it's probably not the best fit. It's really expensive and heavy for a small business. So go high level. I'm not getting commission for this and I don't own any of it. It's incredibly cost efficient. We set it up for the entire organization. We can show you, here's your prospects, people who love these offers and signed up. And here's the people who have automatically signed up for an appointment. And we're going to auto email them and remind them it's time for their appointment. Here's people who blew you off and didn't come to the appointment. We're going to chase them whatever. It's like automate half of your headaches and your customer manicuring. And we do all of that. And that's already included. And it's under two grand, right? So that's right. like less than, that's like a third of the cost of one employee for production, creative, art, strategy, reporting, CRM, ongoing marketing, and more. That's totally affordable for a single practice owner. You know, you're looking at under um, whatever, you know, easily under 20K a year, for an entire marketing department versus doing it yourself. So that's kind of the things I would think about as a practice owner. And hopefully that makes some people take a deep breath and go, awesome. Like this exists, it's possible and it's affordable. You know? Yeah, I really, I think, I think sometimes um, people are, at least the people I coach and talk to um, that are business owners are intimidated by just their lack of knowledge of it. You know, mm -hmm. they, they don't want to, contact a company and have them, you know, and hire them and that not really understanding what they're doing, what they're hiring. So I, I really appreciate you explaining like what actually that money goes for and what those kind of companies do, because a lot of times I think it's the fear of all this technology and the, and just the knowledge, because, you know, this isn't marketing and this kind of thing isn't taught in vet school. 
Right. And if it is, it's very, very minor, like it, like one business class, maybe if we're lucky. Right. So, yep. yeah, I, I think it's a little bit intimidating. Yeah, it is. And to your point, which is odd, um, I didn't, I mean, man, a lot of the stuff I know, I didn't learn that in college. They didn't even have, they still don't have some of this stuff, this cutting edge. Like we were doing natural language processing five years ago before ChatGTP came out. No, no, it was not as sophisticated, but we were using it for content production, for link building and more. And does a practice owner need to know all of that? And then what you do learn today and then you graduate will be different in a year. What, what, so what fast. Yeah. So like what I think would be better to teach those folks coming through is like the framework of what high level components do I need to think about core differentiators? Why am I different than everyone else and their dog down the street? What am I willing to offer for free that no one else is offering to, to win trust and value early? I need to advertise and I need to show up on Google. Cool. And I need a CRM to manicure and keep track of my clients. So like, great. I need all those things. Now, at least, you know what to go shop for. You don't need to know how to work it or manage it. But like those are pretty key components to almost every business. Those are the things they should teach, right? And then you can find a marketing company that includes all of those things. And then ultimately just judge them based on the revenue they're bringing in. If it's not great, try a different company, right? Yeah. So, so is that usually something yeah. you can do? Like, can you hire one and have a, it unlimited terms so you can see how it goes? Is that how it usually is set up? Or is it, do you have to sign like a contract or... Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's going to be company to company basis. We request six months as an example. Um, but at the same point in time, just like dating someone, it's kind of a weird transition, but like, <laughs> are you really going to force someone to date you if they don't like you? That's kind of weird. For six months. We're not. Yeah. Yeah. If we're not bringing value, like why, why would people stay? So we let, we let people out of our contracts. Um, you know, most of that is like a 30 day notice to hand over the keys, the CRM, all these assets we built and more. It's not as common. It's not something you want to think about, but for people who have had a poor marketing experience or they're a little intimidated, right? It's new. Um, like that helps, right? It lowers the risk for them tremendously. It's like, cool, I can try this and, and I don't have to commit to going broke or anything and it either works or it doesn't. And right. it should be the marketing company's job to educate their partners to the extent that they feel comfortable um, and so I would always encourage people do your due diligence. Don't just price shop. Like that's something I, I would be careful with because well, it's like, we don't like people price shopping <laughs> veterinarians either. Right. Cause you oh. get what you pay for a lot of times. So I I'm always kind of, I kind of ride that. It's like, I'm not going to pick the cheapest pair of shoes, but I might not pick the most expensive pair either, but like, I'd rather pay more money and have good quality. And so right. I, I think most veterinarians understand that concept just because that's how people judge us sometimes and we don't like it. It is. I would also finish that with the reason private equity groups are doing roll-ups in the space and the reason we're able to, to provide high value for low cost is because of volume. So there's like this weird, like low price, you get what you pay for, high price, you get uh, better and then on the other side of the downhill, you get even more value for a lower price, which actually makes everyone happy um, because, you know, you're doing a shared back of office or we're doing 25 other vets, you know, simultaneously. And we know what works and what doesn't. So we don't need to use your money to reinvent the wheel. So there is like that benefit, too. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting space. <laughs> where this is going. So, okay, well, I'm going to change the subject just a little bit. Yeah. It it just reminds me of some of the problems that I'm hearing from some of the people that I talk to about when their company is, and this, this happens in all even privately owned veterinary hospitals, but there is this culture of money-making that sometimes causes vets to feel like they don't feel like they're practicing medicine anymore. They feel like they're just working to, you know, feed the machine. So right. I know you talk sometimes talk about culture in a hospital and, and burnout and things like that. How would you speak to that problem that people are seeing? I, you know, some of the corporations are great and I've had really good experiences. And then I've heard of other people like, like as soon as we got taken over by our corp or our private equity or whatever they got taken over by, it just feels like, you know, we're just there to 
you know, push and, and crank up the volume and crank up the money. So how do we balance the culture that we want to keep and keep our people healthy and still bring in that revenue that is needed? Is that, yeah. is it too complicated of a question? Oh, I know I kind no. of rolled three things into one. No, it's good. It, it makes sense. And like with the ADHD, it's actually perfect. It's weird for me, but I love like you like that. You like me throwing three different questions yeah, at like you in one. Okay, cool. More spaghetti. Not That's waffle. how my brain works. It's pretty. Yeah, it, yeah. it goes all. It goes. I have all these questions. I'll just make them into one. Yeah. Yeah. No, me too. We're tracking. Um. So I would say uh, so. A couple of truths, right? Typically, private equity won't buy you to not make money. So you know, there's there's definitely sense, right. Yeah, of course. So with that foundational goal in mind, what I'd also say is if it's a good group and they have their stuff together, meaning you're not the first acquisition they're making, they likely will be taking just as much off your plate, if not more. You're doing a lot of monotonous stuff. You're likely wearing a lot of hats already before you've even sold. They should be able to come in here and take all back office off your hands, scheduling, payroll, account, like all of it, insurances, lease agreements, legal all the things, replying to emails at 3 a.m. because you don't have time because you're you're in the OR, you're you're working with clients all day or whatever that might look like. You should get a lot of time back. During that acquisition process, they they want the value of what you've created and they like your knowledge base. It is not in your advantage to brag that you can do everything under the sun. It is in your advantage to communicate, I've had to do this. I've been able to do this. I know how to do it. However, my highest and best use is right here. It's this little sliver of what I do super well. And that's actually what brings in revenue and or keeps people coming back and happy. And what they will hear immediately is we got to take this stuff off this person's plate so they can be the best version of themselves and only do what they love doing, mm -hmm. which happens to be what's best for the company. So if they're a good PE group, that's what they'll do. That's what my group did for me. And that's what we're still doing. And it's like, it's wonderful and it's scary. But it's wonderful because they agree with you. You already created it. You've proven your value. You, you know what I mean? So it's like. That's why they want it. Totally. So it's like, how do we help you do like 30 times more of that? What you love doing, what you just told us you love doing and not all this monotony. So I would say, you know, that's something to look at as structure and, and related to culture. I would look and ask them, do you have any cultural frameworks that you operate on? Meaning it's not just the founder's gut instinct who's coming in and like, hey, I just want to be cool. And, you know, every company we buy, they think we're cool and it'll be all right. No, it's like, do you have a framework? Are you running EOS? Have you thought about your values? What are your top three to five values that you want to really live higher and fire by as a company? And, and then what are the scorecards associated with all those seats that I told you about? Mm -hmm. You know, visionary, integrator, surgeon, front desk person, this, that, and the other, whatever that might be. Like, what are the jobs associated with that? And, and one of the deeper thinkings is like, if I was, if you founder listening to this are on a beach after you've been purchased and you get to look at one scorecard with five numbers on it to know whether your company is doing well or not, what are those numbers going to be? It's probably new appointments. It's probably bottom line revenue month over month, right? It's probably number of complaints. Hopefully it's down. It's probably like thinking about those core numbers that if that's all you could see, you'd know your business was fine. If they care about those numbers as well, they will supplement that staff to make sure that those numbers are hit. And in the, the industry that you're in, there is no way that there's going to be a successful private equity firm that comes in and drives people to the carpet with a terrible culture and, and they're going to get a great return. People will quit like crazy and their fund will go to nothing. So most of these successful PE groups have really, and to be honest, probably in the last 10 years, focused highly on culture, people, especially after 2020 plus. Right. Life balance, work from home. They have to. You cannot compete in a market if you don't acknowledge those things. And so I'm sure there's still some, some legacy funds out there that are like, bullying their way through, those will die off if they don't adapt. Um, and so I'd say just like get to know the founders, really interview the people that they've already purchased. That will be the biggest telltale story for you. And um, and if it seems like a good family and everybody's singing their praises, like that's worthwhile. And, and that's how you reduce the 
man, I'm just working for the man again. And like, I'm a, I'm a money machine. I'm not actually doing what I enjoy. Yeah. Well, and I've seen it because now that there's so many options, people can jump around. I mean, veterinarians were really in a shortage. And so people, if their culture is bad, they can definitely jump ship and go somewhere else. Unless I guess, unless you're the owner and you're tied back to the, the private equity company that takes you over if they don't have a good culture, but I like that answer. I, I think talking to other people that have been bought by them and and know what it's like to be owned by them is is super important before you you take the take the plunge into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it people are everything. That's ultimately who you're gonna work with. And I mean people create structure, but it's like work with people you like because <laughs> Friction will already naturally happen in business anyway, but if you have people that you trust and like, and you know they have your back and they have the best interest of the company, then you all have aligned goals and that's the best foundation to work from. Yeah. So. Okay. So what else are we missing? What did I not ask you? <laughs> Is there something really important that I don't know enough to ask you? <laughs> I don't want to finish this podcast and be like, oh, <laughs> dang, I wish you would have told me this. Or you say, oh, I wish I would have told her that. Is, yeah. there, is there other pieces of advice for veterinarians out there, whether they are owners or they work for a corporation or they're just getting started even? Yeah, I would say, and, and of course it sounds biased and it doesn't even need to be us, but leverage, we, we've, we've determined the staples over this podcast of 30,000 few things that we need, right? Just as right. We, like know your why. Like ripping off Simon Sinek here, but yeah, ten seconds to pitch thirty thousand people next to your competitors. What are you going to say, right? So that needs to be known. Um, moving towards like executing that, we we do need to think about digital marketing, showing up online, lead generation, and then once we get those leads, how can we automatically qualify them? Have all the answers to our questions? Have them automatically schedule an appointment? Maybe even auto billing? Like anything you can imagine exists. And so where would you learn about that stuff? Local marketing companies, if you expressed interest in marketing, they will do tons of free research for you. They'll tell you what you need. And I would do that with like three to four different companies just to look for commonalities, patterns, see if someone sticks out. And very quickly, you're going to learn somebody's not a good choice because they don't know what they're talking about. They didn't even yeah. say what they were. Or you don't even get along with them personally, right? It's kind of like interviewing for yes. an employee because they really are. That's You're hiring them. Right. Yeah. So I would recommend like if if you just want to grow or you're thinking about selling someday anyways, start knocking on marketing companies doors and getting free data. And if somebody just swoops you off your feet, wins you over, it's the right price point. They have proven data that work with people in your space. Give it a shot. And, and especially if it's low commitment, like definitely give it a shot. Right. But right. I would start learning the data space one on how to grow your company because that's important Two. Again, just to recap, think about your processes. If if you had to take four months off and somebody who who was you in your same space could come in and read this booklet and know exactly what to do, like that's really important. That's golden, um, yeah. It is. And then the last thing is I would start listening to more podcasts like like yours and looking on YouTube for, you know, what does being acquired look like? What should I prepare for? And just having that knowledge, even if it never happens, really helps you make better decisions as a company versus thinking about the next month. You're actually thinking like, if I were to sell this someday, how does that impact me? And so those are the the three things I would probably take from this conversation. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the planning ahead because when you're a young business owner, you don't think about that. You don't think of that someday you're going to sell it. You're so stuck in the weeds of trying to grow it and work it and just be on the ground that, you know, you, you would be so much better off if you thought about that early on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to build yourself a prison. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which happens a lot. Yeah. Well, tell me where people can find you if they want to learn more um, of this kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, LinkedIn, but I will give you the caveat. I don't check my messages (laughs) because we have 150 of those a day and more than half are spam. So, exactly. Yeah. I have the same issue sometimes. I'm yeah. like, oh, I forgot to check LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. But the reason I say LinkedIn is because if, if my title ever changes and more to continue growing and do what's best for this organization to set the example for what we just talked about as a visionary, 
I, I'm moving into speaking circuits, conferences, getting out of the day-to-day -day role uh, as CEO. So at some point, my title might be founder. Maybe at some point, my email is different. So right now it's Tyler at nuclearnetworking.com. Um, but with LinkedIn, you know, you'll obviously always be up to date where I am and more. And I'm happy to chat with you, even if you're not ready to buy marketing right now, but just through some of these concepts, goals. Um, I have a lot of experience in the MA space and, and working with clinics, you know, so I can tell you from the marketing side, like what works, what doesn't. Uh, but yeah, would love to to meet you and zero obligation to buy anything. So yeah, and you don't have to be super huge to start in oh, to tiptoe no. into the into this because some businesses are super small, and I think this kind of discussion is intimidating to them. Sure, I, I would even say it's just as good, if not better, if you're smaller because that means that you don't have massive amounts of cobwebs and and in a, incorrect foundations that we need to rip apart and rebuild. Uh, because you've been aiming the wrong direction and going that way for 20 years, and now you have to come back. If you have a fresh canvas, that's the best place to start, at least to start learning about these things. So you can like start benchmarking. When do I want to, maybe it's not now, but maybe next year, Q1, I'm going to start this. And then Q3, I'm going to start this. And you have kind of a roadmap. Uh, so yeah, there is no budget that's too small or anything like that. I'd say, um, you know, it's good to think about these things early. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being here today. It was a lot of fun and it went by really fast. It seems like It seems like we just got started, but um, <laughs> so everybody out there, this is um, Tyler Horsley and um, it's been really fascinating and I've learned a lot. I appreciate you being here. And Thanks for having it was me. Great meeting you. <laughs> great meeting you as well. All right. And if anybody has anything they want to say or comments, just send me an email or comment uh, below the podcast and, and I'll get back to Tyler if, if I can't answer it. And I'm sure some of the stuff I won't be able to answer. <laughs> so it was really fun meeting you and uh, have a beautiful week out there, everyone. Bye, Tyler. Bye. Thanks.